Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Rich here from the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking to change something at your church? Maybe you're looking to increase your volunteer base. You want to see more people plugged in, or maybe you want to mobilize those people to, um, you know, to do new things in your community or maybe in your church. Maybe you want to increase the spiritual development or the discipleship at your church. Maybe you're trying to get more people on board with small groups or mentoring relationships, or maybe you're trying to engage the next generation. Maybe you're trying to increase, you know, the kind of financial health of your church by increasing generosity. Maybe that's through a fundraising campaign or some sort of stewardship initiative. Well, friends, the reality of it is if you are a leader, you often think about change management. You think about, in fact, where things are and where you want things to be in the future. In fact, I would say leadership at its core is change management. It's about moving people from where you are or where they are to a more desired future. If, if you're not moving people towards something better, you're not leading them. You might be managing them. You might be um, encouraging them. But if you're not pushing towards a better future, uh, you're not actually leading them. And so you are leading innovation. You are leading change. A number of years ago, um, I really uh, got interested in uh, change management and thinking about how can we uh, really think about and lead change within our churches. And I stumbled across something that you no doubt have seen. It's the standard deviation curve, but it's it's called the diffusion of innovation curve. And what this is, is a curve. You've, you've seen the standard deviation or the bell curve, and this has five different categories in it. And um, from left to right, it goes innovators. And then the next category is early adopters. And then the middle two categories are early majority and late majority. And then, and then and there's this large percentage at the end called laggards. And what this does is this describes within any social group people's likeliness to adopt innovation or to adopt change. And time and again, as I've tried to lead the kind of change initiatives we were just talking about, whether that's increasing the invite culture of our churches or um, seeing generosity increased or moving people to volunteer on teams, as we're, as we're kind of trying to bring new innovation, one of the things that I've been struck with is as leaders— we're different than the people that we're leading. So let me just roll through each of those categories and then uh, kind of give you a description of each one of them. And then I want to, and then we'll dive deeper a little bit about how that, how you can apply this, uh, the this diffusion, this uh, diffusion curve, the, the curve of innovation diffusion to your church. So the first category is only 2.5% uh, of most social environments are innovators. And these people are eager to try new ideas, products, services, um, even if the change is detrimental to them. So these people love new things, even if it's painful, even if things are not uh, great. They 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 love new for the sake of new. Then early adopters, these are 3.5% of your church. As opposed to innovators, they who, who rely just on internal values, this group begins to start look at group, group norms and values. Uh, they do want to try something new. They do want to be a part of something new. They're predisposed to trying something new, but they do want to look around more and see, hey, 
who else has done this? Who else is a part of this? They could be called fast followers. That would be early adopters. There's 13.5. Then the middle of the bell curve is early majority and late majority. Early majority, these people collect information about products and services and weigh the pros and cons and ultimately look around and say, hmm, uh, who else is involved in, in this? Who else want to be, you know, who else uh, is doing this, whatever the thing is that we're talking about, joining the new team, uh, inviting a friend. We're late majority very similar. There's a nuanced difference. The difference between these people is uh, they're primary, primarily concerned with social proof. So they primarily look and say, well, who else is jumping on board with this? The late majority, uh, literally their kind of thing that drives them is to say, hey, um, are there other people who are doing this? And then finally, laggards, 16% uh, at the very end. Now, interestingly, I think we might think, oh, there's uh, the same percentage as innovators. That's that very first group. And it's not true. Actually, there's 16%. Uh, sociological studies have found that there's 16%. And what they are the mirror image of innovators. Laggards will not change even if it's painful. So they will stick to the norms uh, for longer, even if it caused pain uh, for them. So why are we talking about the diffusion of innovation curve and the difference it makes for you? It's because of this, friends. I really do believe that you as a church leader, you are earlier in the the innovation diffusion curve than the people in your community. You probably are an innovator or an early adopter. By definition, you see the future. You see something that needs to be better. You want to lean in and make a difference. Now, well, what difference does it make? Well, because for you as a um, as an either innovator or early adopter, you're willing to try new things. You're willing to adopt new behaviors more quickly than your community. And this is a problem for you as you go to lead in your church, particularly as it comes to change initiatives. And here's the reason why. Because if you lead in a way that would work well for you, then you won't be able to bring people along who are who aren't as innovative or are not as early adopter as you if they're the early majority or late majority see you need to think carefully about what are those people who are less innovation prone or are less you know excited by innovation than you what is it that they need I see this all the time with church leaders. Oftentimes, you know, I'll see uh, like a lead pastor, God bless lead pastors, lead, uh, preachers, love them, obviously, core to what we do. But oftentimes you get this impression from preachers that all they need to do is get up and preach about something and that will move people to action. Well, that's just not true. Um, because you, that that's the kind of thing that you would need as a preacher to move to action because you just need to hear a good idea. You need to hear it well articulated and you're willing to move along. But oftentimes, early majority and late majority people, they need something else. And this is the thing that they need. They need social proof. They need to see that other people are involved. So whatever the change initiative is that you're thinking about, I'm going to give you some examples here in a minute. Whatever the change initiative is that you're thinking about, you need to think carefully about how you get give social proof to your people, how they can see that other people are going to be involved in this thing. Let me give you an example from uh, the world of recruiting volunteers. I've had the honor, the privilege of being in the driver's seat of launching 13 
campuses, uh, multi-site campuses. And we saw 1,500 volunteers. Two-thirds of those uh, volunteers had never served in uh, a volunteer role before. And today, those campuses, last time I counted, was about 9,000 people. So we've seen big growth in those uh, those locations. But let's think about that two-thirds. What I realized in recruiting is I might, because I'm maybe more innovative or maybe I'm an early adopter, I just need to hear a compelling message about the fact that we're going to open up in a new location. But actually, what the way most people hear that is they're like, oh, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose the people who I attend with uh, the church here. I, I'm going to, and if I, I'm, and by going to that new thing, I'm going to have less relationships. And so we need to build a, a launch process ultimately that drives towards more relationship. And so for us over the years, we did something that, uh, that I like to call connection events. And these are primarily they're about getting people to connect with each other in the new community. It's about saying, hey, uh, let's make some friends in the new community. We're doing multiple of these over months, maybe one every month for six months during the, the launch process. And these events are two-thirds relationship, one-third vision. We get this flipped upside down all the time as church leaders. We think, man, just get me a somebody that can preach a compelling message and a compelling vision and I will be on board. But that's not how normal people, that's not how uh, early majority and late majority people think. They look around and say, is anyone else going to this? And so what we want to do is give them relationships, lots of relationship over time with a little bit of vision. And then eventually, once we have kind of coagulated enough of those relationships, then and only then can we start to move people towards serving. It means we've got to take longer to get people connected. Or let me give you an example from a fundraising point of view. Again, oftentimes we think, man, all maybe I can just get up on a Sunday and preach the vision and, and we will, um, you know, we will want to, or, or people will want to give to that. And that's just not true. The reality of it is your core donors, particularly, they want relationship. They, they want to look you in the eye as the key leadership and, and really get to know you a little bit better. And they want to see that other people are along for the ride. I've, I've seen core donors all the time. They're willing to give a, a large donation, but what they don't want to be is to be alone in it. They, they want a relationship. They want to say, hey, I want to be a part of something that's happening. I want to see a, be a part of something, uh, some sort of transformation that's taking place. And so we've got to build a major campaigns. We've got to build early on in the kind of private phase before we preach about it before we talk about it and there's a lot we can get into here but before we we go public man there needs to be layers and layers of conversation small group discussions opportunities for people to ask their questions for them to interact with you as key leaders uh, to interact with other donors who are excited about this before people will make that kind of significant gift so here's the big takeaway for today. If you're thinking about shifting the culture of your church, about trying to do something new, you need to think about it uh, not from you know some some sort of single tactic, but really from a whole bunch of things, uh, a whole bunch of actions that convince people over an extended period of time to uh, to adopt the new behavior. And you know we cover this in my upcoming book, Unlocking Your Church's Invite Culture Strategy. Strategies for Church Growth That Worked Today, uh, This really the, the core of this book is built around this idea that, listen, there's not going to be one thing that's going to ultimately kind of flip the switch and your church will have an amazing invite culture. It, because it's a culture by definition, is going to take a thousand and one steps all working together. At the core of this book, we have these five things, we call them the five gears of the invite culture, and those need to 
turn consistently. And when we get those turning time and time again, uh, we see that, that that kind of your invite culture grows and your invite culture develops. And so we, we apply this, the, the diffusion of innovation curve to how do we build an invite culture, but these same ideas could be applied to recruiting. It could be replied uh, or applied to, you know, raising resources, that sort of thing. So friends, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out, email rich at unseminary.com or comment here uh, on our blog or podcast uh, in your favorite podcast player. Uh, where could you see the innovation curve where could you see it applying to a various change initiative that you uh, are engaged in at your church? I would love to hear more about that. And how are you helping bring along those early majority and late majority? Typically, it's with more relationship, more social proof. Well, thanks so much, friends. You know, we're cheering for you here at Unseminary. We'd love, if you're not following along on our email, um, you're missing out on a three-part video series that we're running right now on unlocking your your church's invite culture. We're excited to see that book launch. You'll be hearing more about that in the coming days. Thanks so much, friends. We're so honored that you're a part of Unseminary. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.